we shouldn't be judging a guy. Why, why are we judging a guy who is always going to need multiple years to develop into a potential NFL starter? Welcome into the first ever live edition of the Hot Read Podcast. I'm your host, Easton Fries, director of published content here at broadwaysportsmedia.com. We are also brought to you by the 440 Podcast Network. How is everybody? Hope we've had a great weekend and an extended break from the show. JT, uh, I'm, uh, by the way, of course, joined by producer JT, as always. He's joining us live from his home in Cincinnati. JT, how are you? I'm good. It was uh, definitely taking a little bit more of a hiatus than we previously thought, but with all the traveling that you and I did this weekend, uh, good to be back talking about uh, the NFL in general and looking forward to this Titans game uh, down the stretch here on Saturday. Yeah, so we have a ton to cover. The last show that we did was on Friday morning. Uh, That's when it was posted. It was directly after the Titans lost to the Cowboys on Monday night. And um, so we meant to do our regular Monday show, ended up having to postpone that due to both JT and I traveling. Um, He was home for the holidays in Cincinnati. I was on a quick little weekend getaway ski snowboard trip with my family in Colorado, which was great. Um, And then we were going to do a show that was going to post first thing Tuesday morning. We We were going to record on Monday night. And then, of course, on Monday night, doing a show on the Titans felt really irrelevant and unimportant and not the right time for obvious reasons. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Um, JT is going to offer some interesting perspective that I think is unique because he was in attendance in, uh, in Cincinnati's, what is it? Paycor stadium now? Is that yeah, the name it's of now pay Paycor stadium? Yeah. He was, he was in attendance at Paycor stadium. Uh, he saw everything that transpired on Monday night football with DeMar Hamlin. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit. A couple of housekeeping tips here off the top. I've already seen that at least one or two people have been in and out of the stream today. We have got a webinar today. It's it's a new feature with the, the software that we use. And so we're going to record the show live um, today for free for everybody. So if you go over to broadwaysportsmedia.com and click the link, you will be able to watch the recording of today's show live, interact with the show, leave comments. And if you leave any questions, we'll be happy to answer those at the end of the show in a Q&A. If you have any questions for JT, since he was there on Monday night um, and, and witnessed up close and personal the story that has consumed the NFL cycle this week, um, we can we can answer those. But it's uh, exciting, I think, JT, for us to be able to do the show live and interact with some folks. I will say that in the future, this is going to be, and if you saw yesterday on uh, tu- Tuesday, the football and other F-words guy, Zach Lyons, and um, – Mike Herndon did a show live like this and um, it was for insiders only. And that is something that we're going to be doing as well going forward. So we're excited about that today. It's for free because it's our first one, but in the future, this will be an insiders only opportunity. If you're not a Broadway insider, you got to go over to broadwaysportsmedia.com to become one. It's just 99 cents for your first month and you get a ton of awesome content behind the paywall, including some articles that have been written. I know that a, a new article on the Ryan Tannehill trade market was just written and published today on Wednesday by uh, Zach Lyons. And that's a phenomenal article. It's almost 5,000 words long, which is ridiculous. He did a fantastic job on that. And I've already read most of it. Um, it, It's a really interesting and and well thought out article. Those are the kinds of things you can't get unless you become a Broadway insider today, as well as future live recordings of this show, which JT, uh, I know that you and I pride ourselves on being the first responders in the Nashville media market when it comes to the Titans and the NFL, we get around to doing shows on Titans news and topics and games um, before anybody else, really. We we have shows recorded on Sunday nights following the Titans games that go up first thing Monday morning before anybody else's show is out. Those things can be available to you via uh, this new service we have that we can record live and you can listen the day of a Titans game or the day of um, something like John Robinson being fired or the Titans drafting uh, a certain prospect. Those are the kinds of things we're going to be able to offer to you, but only if you're a Broadway insider. All right, JT, we've got a couple people in here listening and watching. We appreciate you guys. Again, if you leave any questions or comments, we'll be happy to interact with you and answer those questions um, at the end of the show. I want to talk first, JT, about the DeMar Hamlin situation, which is what has consumed the NFL 
news space this week, and um, I don't want to really beat any dead horses here in terms of the facts on the ground. Everybody, if you follow the NFL at all, and really if you don't, I mean, my my wife and my mom were with me on our trip in Colorado when we watched this live, and and they know uh, about this situation as well as anybody else, and they don't care anything about the NFL. So this has become a kind of national news story. Um, the the basic facts on the ground are well known by everybody, but there have been some positive updates in the last 24 hours or so. It sounds like Demar is doing a better job breathing on his own in the hospital. We don't have a ton of information because this is one of those things um, with with cardiac arrest victims. There's a period of time that could be hours, could be days, could be weeks when they're in a medical uh, coma where they're having to do some recovery and, and the doctors are closely monitoring brain function and all of these things. And so we don't know what is going to ultimately happen uh, with Damar. We also don't know when we are going to to see whether or not he is is okay and how healthy he, he could possibly become in the future and what kind of recovery he could make. But we've, of course, been praying about this and it's it's something that has kind of stopped everything in its tracks the nfl has stopped in its tracks kind of historically jt i, I want to get your perspective because again you were there on monday night in the stands with a couple of friends of ours actually you got to witness this live i was texting back and forth with you furiously the night of when everything was happening trying to get updates no one knew what was going on give me kind of a ten thousand foot view of your perspective what did you see on monday night um in the stadium yeah, so I mean, first of all, thought like you said, uh, prayers for him, and uh, it's really good to see that um, they're kind of waning him off that breathing tube, and he's being able to kind of more function on his own, even though he's still in this critical state. So that's all we can really say on that uh, front there, and I'm really happy that that's happening right now. As like you said um, on Twitter, I think earlier today, it's going to be an amazing moment when he wakes up to see over the $6.5 million that have been raised for his GoFundMe. And I think that's going to be so special and see what he and his family do with that going forward. Yeah. As for the game, um, it was kind of a really interesting perspective uh, for me personally, because uh, like everybody at home watching, I mean, I'm sure before they knew how serious it is, because like they said on ESPN and what they were showing nine times out of 10, you see an injury like that. It's probably you're thinking more head, something concussion. I mean, we saw this on yeah. the same field with Tua Tungavailoa like six or seven weeks ago. I think a lot of people were thinking right away it was something more head related kind of concussion symptoms like. And so the people at home were viewing this game and seeing the replay. But as for us, I mean, it was a T Higgins first down and the stadium is going crazy. The sounds they're doing all their graphics and everything. So we are, I mean, personally, I was not paying attention and didn't, wasn't able to catch um, Hamlin going down on the field. So, and I think that was the same thing for most people in the fans. You're just watching too much on the field that it's kind of something that if you blink, you'd miss it. Right. Um, right. I mean, so, it, it happened right after a very routine looking play. Everybody exactly. gets up. I mean, when, um, when you see all the players involved on a play stand up immediately after your attention is usually drawn elsewhere. You're not you're not watching them return to the huddle. So it, it really did catch everybody off guard. No, and I think that's basically um, the next six or seven minutes for everybody in the stands was a lot of like that. We're just like, okay, this looks more like um, something because there wasn't a stretcher out there. There wasn't really anything. So it was kind of a peculiar injury because we were sitting there for six or seven minutes without any stretch or anything. We had no idea what was going on, but you could well, tell. Let, let me ask you this, JT. You mentioned that you didn't know what was going on. Obviously, us at home didn't know what was going on. They they constantly were cutting away from from the broadcast to go to commercial. Um, it was a really awkward six or seven, maybe more like 10 minutes. Um, well, I guess it was longer than that, right? Because from him going down to when they finally pulled the ambulance off the field, that was something like a 15 to 20 minute period, right? Yeah. So like, like I said, six or seven minutes, you're sitting there and you could tell that something wasn't quite right as more and more of both team sidelines kind of gather at this 50 yard line. there, kind of trying to um, gauge what was going on. And you could see some of the players kind of taking their own leave uh, from the circle that was watching what was going on and kind of trying to react to the information that we at the time had no idea. And you could tell this is something a little more serious. And then it kind of hit the entire stadium. Once you see that ambulance being backed out onto the field from, I think it was the Cincinnati sideline over there. You mm -hmm. could tell that this is something that is going to take a little bit of time here. And it's something super serious that we don't really know 
what is going on. And I, I, I can tell from a sports fan perspective, I've never heard a stadium more silent than it was for a good 35 to 40 minutes after the initial injury. It was just kind of everybody was in a state of shock, confusion, not quite sure what was going on. I think really it didn't really hit Twitter for a lot of the stadium to kind of start getting the word out to people around each other what was going on um, until about six or seven minutes when that ambulance was out there. So it was a lot of just like a state of shock and confusion and a lot of people just kind of stood there motionless being like, let's see what, what is going on and wait for some good news. So I have, I have a couple of questions for you. Um, like, like I said, those of us that were watching at home, they continued to cut away both visually in the broadcast, not showing what was going on for the privacy of DeMar and, and the medical staff trying to save his life in that moment, but also they kept cutting to commercial and um, you know, the people talking on the broadcast were as in the dark as, as, the rest of us were not knowing what was going on and knowing whatever was happening was really serious and grim and felt just different. It felt different from anything we'd ever seen before for, for those of us that, that missed the game live. I, I know that I, I saw everything happen live, but there were a number of people that didn't catch it. Um, you, you really can't go find the, the broadcast footage out there. They've done a good job on the internet of keeping that private and, and not spread around. So um we didn't really get a chance to see what was going on in that moment live. And we also don't really have a chance to, to see it now in post you, of course, being there, saw it, the medical personnel, what was it? What was the scene like with them? Was it different from another injury that you've seen in terms of the way that they were behaving? Obviously we saw the players from both sidelines behaving differently. And then the ambulance comes out, like talk, talk us through those, those four or five minutes at the very beginning, when everybody is confused as to what's happening, you're getting to see from the stands what's happening. What what did what was the scene like? What did you see? I, I mean, it was a lot of just uh, once the ambulance comes out, you know, it's something super serious here. And as they as more and more of the players try to gather around, you know that this is something that's that is not good. And as a fan, you're just like I we and it's kind of a give and take there, right? Because you you have no idea uh, and have no idea of knowing what the broadcast is saying and vice versa right there. Um, but I think the medical uh, personnel did as well as they could on the field trying to could diagnose. Could you tell that CPR was being administered, that an AED we could, was We being could used? really not see what was going on. Like I said, it, it's hard when I was about, I was on the second level of the Bengals side there and um, they did a really good job of, I mean, the, the coaches kind of just made a whole, ring around the situation and right. as more and more bills fan bills players from that side and Bengals players come over it's kind of just created a hole just i mean both teams were filling up the 50 yard line it was kind of hard to really tell what was going on and i had no idea what was going on and what the actual injury or situation was until i was able to get on twitter and see kind of from the broadcast perspective um that that was the case were you able to, they didn't really show a very good angle either of, of when DeMar did finally, uh, I guess they, they got his heartbeat going again. They got him onto the stretcher and stabilized enough to load into the ambulance and take off the field because that was the other strange thing, right? Usually with other injuries that we've seen before that require an ambulance to come out on the field, and we've seen it happen. Usually it's after a pretty significant amount of time on the field. It's, it's you know, they, they administer care and and do as best they can to diagnose the situation on the field. And then it's kind of a last case. If things are really getting bad, let's call the ambulance out here. If it comes out abruptly like that, you know, something's really bad right now. And, and there's an emergency going on. They bring that ambulance out. It sits there for a long time as they're for nine, 10 minutes, trying to get him resuscitated, get his heart beating again. They do. They load him onto the stretcher. They get him into the ambulance I know that at that moment, the the crowd, you know, kind of awkwardly, cautiously clapped, thinking that something positive had happened. Were you able to see Demar on the stretcher or see them loading him into the ambulance? What was what was that scene like? Yeah, I mean, you could see him um, being loaded onto the stretcher, and I mean, give it credit um, for eighty five percent of the fan base and the people that were there, and I think anybody who was there can say that. I, at that moment, it really wasn't about this game anymore. It was about just what was going on the field and trying to feel as hopeful and as best you could for DeMar as you could on the field there. It was, you could see him getting on the stretcher and as someone from the fan, you can't really see if he's 
a wig or something. And that's where usually, right. you know, the thumbs up comes up and then that's where the applause goes in and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, once he got on the stretcher, we were hoping that he was okay and awake and stuff, but we never saw a thumbs up or anything. So I think that's why the awkward, cautious clap was, was happening because at least, you know, there was some progress being made on the field there. Yeah. And Sean points out that he's seen ambulances come out before, but it was faster than he'd ever seen. He, he's a buddy of ours and, and he was there with you in attendance. And so he knows as, as well as you do, how, how strange and scary that situation was. Uh, Ryan points out that he thought that the ESPN personalities did a good job trying to cover something that people never think they will have to cover. And I, I can vouch for that. I think that the, the broadcast team, Joe Buck and, and Troy Aikman did as good a job as they could in the moment, not knowing what was going on, not saying too much or speculating in that moment, but just um, experiencing it with the rest of us. And then, you know, Susie Colber and Adam Schefter and Booger McFarlane in particular, Booger did a really fantastic job um, with, with the wisdom and the, the uh, just the, the, the amount of time that they had to speak. I mean, they, these guys had to fill time um, when we didn't know that the game was ever going to be resumed or when it would be resumed, they were really put into an impossible situation. And so you, you feel for them and they did a, as good a job as you can. And then Scott Van Pelt did basically the next three hours of his show that's supposed to come on after Monday Night Football late in the evening. He's got to fill the time that the game now canceled was going to fill on ESPN. So he does an extended show with with guests and talking to people on the ground um, in Cincinnati at the stadium and at the hospital. And, and he, of course, Scott Van Pelt is uniquely situated to, to handle a, a really tough situation like that. He did a, a fantastic job. Um, a couple of things uh, before we move on to some Titans talk on the DeMar front, and this is more the NFL wide front. And of course I have to point out here at the top that all that matters ultimately is that DeMar gets healthy and, and we're, we're interested in, in him um, and his safety and his health. But eventually we do have to consider the logistics of what happens now with the NFL season. And that's a tricky question because I don't think anybody disagrees that canceling the game on Monday night was the not just correct decision, but only decision that could be made in that moment. You couldn't have those teams no, and those yeah. players play. Um, and I think that was something else on the field there. Once you knew that ambulance went off and it, you know, some of the Cincinnati players, I mean, they really didn't get word yet. And of course it's two different realities, right? You have, you have the Cincinnati who doesn't really know this guy and it's just another guy they're playing against, right? They're, they're warming up kind of thinking there's a couple guys like getting their legs warm again, doing whatever. And then you kind of see this turn where Sean McDermott takes the entire team and they all kneel right on. I think I have a picture I think took on um, I think our Twitter that it's just a picture of them on the 50 yard line, their entire team just knelt down in, in prayer. And you knew that this game couldn't go on. And I think that the entire stadium knew that I think at least a good 85 to 90% of the people in that stadium understood that this game wasn't going to re resume or happen again that night. Um, and I think that's the same thing. I think everybody realized that it was more than a game in that moment. Um, and so while the game was canceled, I think nobody else in, in that stadium was thinking any different than, is he okay? Yeah. And, and so from a logistics standpoint, you know, our, our buddy Sean asks, what's the preferred plan for, for Bengals bills. Um, I thought that Mike Florio over at profootballtalk.com did a really good job in his article yesterday. I know that Titans fans have mixed feelings towards Mike Florio. He's not had the best track record with Titans-specific news and information. But I, for my money, I'm not sure there's anybody in the national media that has a better grasp on the NFL from a business standpoint, from a legal standpoint, from a logistics standpoint than Mike Florio. He's very plugged in, and, and he's seen it all for the most part he's been doing this for a very long time he wrote an article on where the nfl can go from here logistically with this game with week 18 with the playoffs and he presented really the only four options that seem possible um, and i kind of wanted to to talk through those before we move on to some titan specific discussion the first and i maybe easiest option is just to, to cancel bills bengals to establish it as a no contest game proceed with week 18 and then go into the playoffs in the following week as scheduled, it would avoid any adjustment for the remaining schedule. And so from that logistics standpoint would be the easiest way to approach this, but it would be 
somewhat impractical because then you would have uh, two teams high up contenders in the AFC who have one less game on their record. It's going to impact who gets the one seed. It will allow the Chiefs to win next week in week 18 and claim the one seed to no fault of the Bills or the Bengals um, themselves. Both teams, again, that were fighting for the one seed, the Bills in particular. You also could see them potentially play Bengals Bills this weekend and push everything to week 18. Now, he wrote this article on Tuesday. We're recording this Wednesday evening. It still sounds like the NFL is going to go ahead with week 18 as scheduled. So I don't think that this is going to be the case, but I think you could see a reversal here. I think you could see the NFL go ahead with week 18 as scheduled and then potentially push the playoffs back a week and have Bill's Bengals play a standalone game in week 19 to establish the AFC playoff picture and get that final game finished out. Um, that, that's something that would be the, the fairest in terms of the league and the standings and the actual competition of the NFL. But it, from a logistics standpoint, could be a nightmare and could be impossible. You know, pushing the entire playoffs back, you'd imagine that they would then eliminate the weekend in between the conference championship games and the Super Bowl. That's something that we saw them do back in 2001 when the, the NFL had to miss games due to 9-11. They ended up playing an entire week of September games at the end of the season in December or January. They pushed all the playoff weekends back one week, eliminated the week in between the, the Super Bowl and the conference championship. And so everything was pushed back except for the Super Bowl, which happened on the, the same weekend that it was planned. That's something that I think for my money, if it's possible logistically, I think that's the way that you should do it because you need these these games to be played. Um, another option is to play Bengals Bills um, at, at a different point sometime in between the next two weeks. This is only really an option on paper because from a rest standpoint, a health and safety standpoint, a planning standpoint, none of that makes sense. So really the only options I think we've come down to at this point as of Wednesday is they're either going to have to push back the playoffs and have Bills Bengals play a standalone game one weekend, or they're going to have to declare Bills Bengals no contest. Um, I, I guess technically you could say it was a tie and give both teams a tie. I don't think that they would do that. I'm not even sure if technically that's allowed in the competition bylaws of the NFL. I'd have to check, but I think that would actually I, hurt I feel them like... more than it than it would benefit them if you count it in no contest and do what they are planning or what it is reported that they might do if it is a no contest and go off a 16 game schedule there. I mean, it, it still doesn't, it, 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 at least not having it on there is it for record wise is better for both teams than right. giving them a tie. So JT, what, what's your preferred plan for Bengals bills? I know that my, my preference is to have them play a standalone game in a week 19 and push back the playoffs. But what I think is going to happen realistically today is I think that they're going to ultimately have to call it a no contest. And that's going to, it's going to give the chiefs the inside, the inside uh, lane to get the one seed. Yeah. I mean, I I'm, I'm right there with you uh, from a fan perspective. I would love to still see this game because at least for the first, the, the eight minutes that we did get to see, it was a great game. Like it was the, the offense was a high octane there. And I would love in a week to come back up to Cincinnati and still be able to use my tickets and watch this game again. Right. That would be great. And, but I think logistically wise and travel wise, especially for the bills, I think at least for the top three teams there for the chiefs bills and Bengals, the, the best outcome is a no contest. Now, again, that it, the team that it hurts the most, the most is the Baltimore Ravens. But at this moment, it, the Ravens, it, yeah, it, they still have a chance. Like that narrative can come down to next week. If, the Baltimore Ravens were to beat come into Cincinnati and beat the Bengals for the division, because without this game, the division right. for the AFC North is still very much up for grabs. Um, it, now, if the Ravens win, I think they would still have one more loss on there and the Bengals would still right. win. They, they would need the Bengals bills game to play. Yeah. Right. And then there you can, if the bill, if the Ravens were to do that, you'd probably get a lot of Baltimore fans and get that narrative going. But it, it, for, all intents and purposes, this is something we've never seen before. And it's kind of, we, you got to do something with it. And I think for 95% of people, I think this is the outcome that makes the most sense to call it a no contest. 
All right. Well, we've spent 30 minutes on this and that that's not, that's not too much time. I, I felt like this was an important thing to spend some time on, but we are going to go ahead and move on. We're going to, we're going to wish DeMar the best and keep uh, of course our eyes on that situation, but we're going to talk about Titans Jaguars, which is still scheduled to play this weekend and is still JT, as we've been saying on this show for a month now, the only remaining game for the Titans that matters. We've now reached the point where it is the only remaining game for the Titans, unless they win and earn themselves one more at least playoff game um if you are listening to us live we appreciate you being here we're happy to have you we're about to talk a lot of titans so if you're here to talk titans we would love to see you interact um with comments ask any questions we're happy to answer them as we go along uh we we appreciate those of you listening live we also appreciate those of you that listen via the podcast but if you listen via the podcast you need to know that this is also a youtube show now we have a recorded visual version of the show that those that are listening live right now are getting to see. It goes up after the show is over in post as a finished product on YouTube. So you can go and check that out over at Broadway Sports Media. The Broadway Sports Media YouTube page has all of our shows in video form, as well as all of the Football and Other f word shows and the Mike Herndon show. All of that stuff you can get if you subscribe at Broadway Sports Media YouTube channel over on YouTube. All right. JT, so Titans-Jaguars is playing this weekend. We had been talking about how we expected them to be playing on Sunday night this weekend in Week 18. They are actually going to be playing on Saturday night in primetime. And so, first of all, I want to talk about what in the world is the NFL thinking with this scheduling decision? We talked very confidently before this schedule came out, before last weekend, we expected the Titans and the Jaguars to be the season finale, the regular season finale for the NFL flexed into Sunday night football into prime time. And that's not what happened. They instead were flexed into Saturday night football and the lions at Packers game was flexed into the Sunday night spot. This does not make any sense. And the reason we spoke so confidently on the Titans Jaguars game being the one that will be flexed is because it checks every box that the NFL and these TV network executives had looked for in the past, right? You had two teams that were playing for a win or go home playoff spot. You had two teams that were in competition for the division title, which is something that they value. You had a game. This is the most important one, a game that the, the, the impact of the games played previously in the day could not change the stakes of this game. The stakes of Titans Jaguars was and always will be winner gets the division, loser goes home. There's nothing that could happen during the day this upcoming Saturday or Sunday that will change that. And fourth, you have a, a star power potential in Trevor Lawrence to draw eyeballs. I know that it's not quite uh, Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers brand, but you do have, despite it being two small markets in Jacksonville and, and Tennessee, you have a guy that is ascendant, Trevor Lawrence, the guy who, who came in as one of the top prospects of all time out of college, is finally reaching his stride, it seems like. And the NFL seemingly should have, at least could have, embraced that narrative with this game as their season finale. They chose not to do that. And this is why it's so confusing. The entire reason that the NFL Week 18 is left unscheduled until you get there is to avoid a situation that the NFL and NBC just created for themselves by putting Lions Packers on Sunday night football. Now, if you don't know already, the reason that this is so strange is that Lions Packers is a game that has stakes. Technically, it technically could be a game between two teams fighting win or go home for the last NFC wildcard spot. That is what the NFL is hoping is the case. And in that case, then you have a game that meets the requirements. But if a game in the afternoon window, the game between the Rams and the Seattle Seahawks goes the way that it's right now projected to go, the Seahawks beating the Rams, then the Lions no longer are playing for a playoff spot. JT, they're eliminated if the Rams don't upset the Seahawks in the afternoon window. And they're going to know whether or not they're eliminated by the time that their game is played in the evening. This makes no sense at all for them to create this situation where the Lions don't have anything to play for on paper because they've already been eliminated by the Seahawks winning in the afternoon slot. It's, it, here's, here's what people are missing. 
And I think a significant portion of folks are, are missing this point, at least from my interactions on, on the internet, the NFL. And, and let me find out who pointed this out because I want to give him credit at Rob Pizzola. He, he, he tweeted out that he, he doesn't think Detroit will mail this game in. And I don't either. They're not going to mail this game in. This is, this is Dan Campbell's guys. He's going to pay attention regardless of what happens in the afternoon slot, he's going to have his guys ready to go and beat a division rival in the Packers. And at the very least, they're going to be fighting to keep the Packers out of the playoffs, which I know that they very desperately want to do. But the point is not that they will mail this game in. The point is that they can mail this game in. Draft equity is a real thing, and they'll only be hurting themselves in the upcoming draft if they win that game after being eliminated from the playoffs in the afternoon slot. This is a possible serious competitive advantage that the NFL is willingly giving to the Packers in the final week of the season that has historically been structured to avoid this. The entire point of leaving the schedule open is so that we don't have situations like this. And and Tennessee Jacksonville was right there. This isn't one of those situations where this was the lesser of the evils. It was the best thing that the, the NFL had available to them to make this game. Tennessee Jacksonville met all the requirements and they just passed. It was right there. It, it checks every box that they're looking for. And there is zero explanation for this decision to make it Green Bay Detroit in the final game of the year on Sunday Night Football, except for the fact that clearly network executives are, are just way, way too horny for Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers brand. That's that's what it is. They want them in the playoffs, and they want them in prime time. And so they were blinded to the fact that this was, on paper, a very foolish decision. Sean points out, unless they know it's Aaron Rodgers' final game. It, the, maybe the NFL's rigged. Maybe they know this is the final game for Aaron Rodgers, and they wanted to put it or they're betting, in prime or they, time. They might yeah, just be betting the, on um, now that uh, – the, the news that Matt Stafford might be coming back as a revenge game to to uh, win for the Rams to beat the Seahawks Maybe. so that the Lions can finally make the playoffs again, you know, from the outside looking in. But yeah, I mean, I agree. It, it's just it, it's if we're it's, putting a tor- tinfoil hats on, then maybe that's what's happening. Yeah, it is. It's dumb. And uh, but but here we are. There's no changing that. So let, let's talk about Titans Jaguars. There's an interesting scenario out there, JT, that I don't think people had realized until just recently. The Jaguars don't necessarily have to win this game to make the playoffs. They almost certainly do need to because they need a lot of things to go right. But they are still technically, I think it's a 5% chance of them making the wild card as the last wild card in. They would need, of course, if they this is if they lose to the Titans, they would need the Bills to beat the Patriots. Very possible. The Jets to beat the Dolphins, very possible. And the Steelers to lose against the uh, Cleveland Browns, which is, you know, not likely. I think that they'll probably be the favorite in that game, but it'll be a, a, a small margin. And this is a game between two division teams that is historically a coin flip game. And this is a, a game in the NFC North that could go either way. And all you need is a decent Deshaun Watson game to send the Steelers playoff hopes packing. And so, the Titans in this situation would, would win the division and the Jaguars would get the last AFC wildcard spot. I, I'm, I'm praying that this happens simply because I think it would be hilarious that the poverty AFC South gets a second playoff team in, in what was supposed to be a stacked AFC that has kind of fallen apart here down the stretch. And that's really the reason that this is the case, JT, the AFC wildcard picture, all the teams that were sitting in position to get a wildcard spot, they have struggled down the stretch. You've seen teams kind of fall apart. The Dolphins losing five in a row. Um, the, the Ravens struggling without Lamar. The Patriots and the Jets struggling for a number of reasons. Like, they've all kind of come back towards the pack. And the Jaguars, to their credit, have won a ton of games in November and December. And so let's talk about Titans-Jaguars from a historical standpoint. I was looking into this. Actually, while I was on the mountain this this weekend, um, so I was researching at 13,000 feet, and I'm going to blame a, an error that I had in this research uh, on the elevation because somebody pointed out to me that I had gotten my original tweet just barely wrong. I'd missed one thing. But the last time that the Jaguars beat the Titans twice in the same season was two, uh, 2005. Before that, it was 1997. Those are the only two times that the Jaguars have ever swept the Titans in the regular season. 
On the other hand, Tennessee has swept Jacksonville nine times since 1997 with an overall record against the Jaguars since 97 of 32 and 18, almost doubling their wins versus their losses. So a Jaguars win on Saturday night would be a serious, serious monkey off of that franchise's back. And I think it's something that it makes this the most important Jaguars regular season game maybe ever. Um, it's it's a very, very big deal to them. I'm no, I know that their fans are going to get up for it. And so it should be a, a great game. But um, the ability for them, the possibility for them to sweep the Titans for just the third time ever after the Titans have done it to them nine times in the last two decades and change, that has to be weighing pretty heavily on a lot of these players and especially on that fan base. Now, I want to move on. We've got a, a kind of a um, all around the board here today in terms of topics because we have so much to cover since our last show. I, I want to talk about Malik Willis, who's kind of gone under the radar ever since the Titans ended up starting Josh Dobbs on Thursday night and benching Malik Willis for what they said was rest and to see what they had in Josh Dobbs. But in reality, was because they realized that Josh Dobbs, the guy that they had signed off the street, um, just 10 seconds before they played him was going to give their team a better chance of winning in week 17 and ultimately a better chance of winning in week 18 than their rookie quarterback Malik Willis. This was a conversation that I had with Tyler Rowland on Twitter over at Tic Tac Titans um, at Tic Tac Titans, the uh, locked on Titans podcast. He was talking about how um, well, to be fair to him, I'll read his tweet verbatim. He says people are acting like we should judge Malik the same right now as we did the day he was drafted. Kid has been practicing for eight months in this system and got to start three games. He should be further along than he is. You can talk about the offensive line and offensive coordinator too. Both can be true. And my response to him ultimately was, some of us, me, were simultaneously pleased by the draft pick, the Titans going for Malik in the 80s in the third round last, last spring. But we also stuck with our pre-draft evaluation of him. He's a huge project. He's going to need at least a year, probably more. And I think it's wrong today to think that he's being screwed by the team or that he isn't all that bad right now. He is all that bad right now, and he is not being screwed by the team. But it's also wrong to fully bail on him just yet. Again, my expectations for him from a player prospect standpoint at this time have not been over or underwhelmed. They've just been whelmed. We have we are at what I expected him to be. Very up and down, very raw, some flashes of promise, but some really, really serious question marks that ultimately make a, a journeyman, veteran, frankly bad backup NFL quarterback like Josh Dobbs be a much better option for them for this Week 18 game than Malik Willis. And so I think it's pretty clear and this is this is why Tyler Rowland over at Tic Tac Titans was talking about this because his take this week has essentially been that that Mike Vrabel is out on Malik that he's given up on Malik and now I th I think it's pretty clear that Mike Vrabel isn't going to be planning his future for this team with Willis in mind but in hindsight I think you could reasonably argue that he he might have never been in on Malik Willis in the first place I, I think it's wrong though for Mike Vrabel or the fan base or the team or anybody to fully bail on him at this point, because from a prospect project uh, talent standpoint, from a physical on the field standpoint, my take is that we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be judging a guy. Why, why are we judging a guy who is always going to need multiple years to develop into a potential NFL starter after his, or not even, not even after his first season on a team. I don't understand why. And I, I guess if your expectations for him coming out and coming into the season were, were higher than mine, if you expected him to be a potential starter for next season in the NFL, then I guess it makes sense for you to be bummed out or for you to be out on him. But I don't think that that was a, a fair or a correct position to take. We talked extensively JT back in August when we started this iteration of the show back up after the summer break that, this isn't going to be a guy that's going to be ready for 2023. We, we expected Ryan Tannehill to be back for one more year or at the very least for it to be somebody other than Malik Willis. And that's kind of where we've stayed throughout the year. Never once have we pushed the idea that maybe he takes over in 2023. 
No, man, that's that's not the case. Uh, Jacob, who's listening live, says uh, totally not fact checked, but I'm going to say this is the first time ever a University of Tennessee quarterback has started alongside a Alabama running back. Um, I'd say that's probably true, but uh, I think that is just a reflection of how many Tennessee quarterbacks have made it in the NFL ever since Peyton Manning, which is um, basically none of them. Um, so that's that's fair. Um, Jacob also pointed out, by the way, that a lot of Broadway sports media members are writing off Malik Willis already. Yeah, they are. And I mean, listen, we're, we're a, a sports media network. And as the director of published content, I'm not pushing anybody to, to go with any particular narrative. They're happy. I, I prefer that we disagree. And so I'm glad that we do. But I think that they're wrong. I think that that being off of Malik Willis right now is unfair and and not reflective of reality. The reality when he came out that regardless of what team he went to, he was going to be a project and there was a high chance he wouldn't be an NFL starting quarterback. And if he ever did become one, it would probably be two or three years down the road. And, and so this is just way too premature for me. I, I will say my opinion of Malik wasn't changed at all versus the, the Texans like many others experienced. It seems that many got out on him after that Texans loss. My opinion from, from a physical playing standpoint wasn't changed, but interacting with him in that press conference after the game, that lowered my opinion pretty dramatically, JT. I didn't like anything really about the way that he conducted himself in that press conference. Now his behavior wasn't bad, on a personal level. And I'm pretty sure we talked about this a little bit after that game. He wasn't a jerk, but he wasn't a professional NFL quarterback at that podium. He shares a lot of the great guy, ineffective leader qualities that I think Marcus Mariota dealt with a lot early on in his career. And he just, Willis comes across in those press conferences as a guy who hasn't really dealt with a ton of adversity. I, now, I don't think you have to be a bad person or a jerk to play in the NFL as a, a quarterback and be an effective starting quarterback. But I do think there are plenty of good people who've been great quarterbacks that have a different gear on the field and with their teammates. I think that Peyton Manning is the perfect example. He's a notorious great guy, right? Great guy, Peyton Manning. But he's also notorious for his ability to go thermonuclear dictator on the football field with his teammates and and in calling plays and operating his offense you got to be built a little bit like that like a Peyton Manning like a Tom Brady like a Patrick Mahomes a, like a Dak Prescott all of these guys like Dak Prescott's an example of a guy who I don't think is the most talented guy in the world I don't think he's a very good quarterback um, I think he's just fine I think he's like middle of the road starter but he has all of the leadership qualities that you want to see in a quarterback. And that's a big part of the reason, in my opinion, as to why he is an effective NFL starting quarterback and will remain one for the future, because he has all of those leadership qualities that are required. And so that's just my two cents on Malik Willis. I think that the Titans may very well be out on him. I think that it wouldn't shock me at all if Mike Vrabel is out on him now and was never in on him to begin with. I think that that's foolish and the wrong way to go about his progression and the patience required for him to develop. But um, that may be the case and it's going to be something to watch because they've at the very least JT given up on him in this season. He's going to uh, not be playing regardless of what happens unless Josh Dobbs goes down. And that's all I have to talk about from a narrative standpoint today. We do, however, have a lot to talk about in our Titans news segment. So we're going to, we're going to jump into that with, with JT. He's going to take us through all of the interesting facts of, of the week, as well as uh, trying to figure out what is going on with this Titans roster and, and who is and isn't looking like they're going to be able to play this weekend. First, if you are wanting to potentially advertise with us here on the show on another Broadway Sports Media Podcast Network show on broadwaysportsmedia.com itself, we have a ton of opportunities this winter and this spring to uh, add some advertisers, and we would love to get your product in front of the thousands of eyeballs that visit our site each day, the thousands of ears and eyes that get to interact with our show content, our podcasts, our YouTube shows, our tens to hundreds of thousands of eyeballs that watch our social media content on Twitter and on Facebook and on Instagram. We've got a ton of, of fans of our 
product that we would love to present your product to as an advertising partner with us. And so if you are an owner of a small business or an entrepreneur or an employee of a business that you think here in Tennessee would be a, a great partner to advertise with us, we would love to just have a conversation with you about that. Reach out to us via email. You can find that on broadwaysportsmedia.com or hit us up via social media. Just DM us. We'd love to just chat about it and see, um, maybe compare budgets and, and see if it's a good fit because we would love to have you advertise with us in the spring. All right, JT, that's enough of my blathering on. Let's get into some Titans news. Yeah, and our Titans news segment today is kind of going to be a recap of what has happened this week, of course, since we haven't had a show. But let's start on Monday when the Titans placed, once again, another player on injured reserve. This time it was safety Andrew Adams, so he is done for the season. And then we'll move on to Titans on Wednesday, which is today. The Titans signed to the active roster from Cleveland's practice squad, safety Mike Brown, as well as safety Nate Meters. And so we're going to look here now to the Titans injury report today, which came out just right before we recorded the show. And for once, I'm not going to say this is a bad injury report. Maybe it's the first time I've it's said not. it all I mean, it's year. It's got a lot of names. It's a lot of practicing players. So Yeah, exactly. I For the first time ever, I'm going to say it's not that bad of an injury report here. Let's talk about the people who did not practice today. And that's going to be once again, Cornerback uh, Devontae Harris, who hasn't practiced at all yet this week, and he is dealing with a hamstring injury. And then outside linebacker Terrell Basham, who was dealing with a back injury, was downgraded from limited to DMP. And then besides that... Right, so just to just to yeah. address those real quick, JT, those two guys, um, in case you aren't aware, are, are very deep roster guys they aren't guys that you really want i was gonna say guys that won't see the field but knowing this titans team they may but we you shouldn't not. want them to um and so having those guys <laughs> yeah having those guys out of practice is not a big deal at all all of the all of the high leverage players and stars on the titans roster that are on this report are either full or limited so we can get into that yeah, so let's talk about the guys who were limited at practice today. All of them are going to be limited here for their second day in a row. That's linebacker Dylan Cole with his ankle injury, Kristen Fulton with a groin injury, Amani Hooker with a knee injury, Nicholas Petit-Friere and Jeffrey Simmons both dealing with the ankle injuries that they have. And I think the biggest two on that limited participation list right there has to be Kristen Fulton and Amani Hooker, who I, I can't remember the last time they put uh two days in a row of either limited or above practice here it's always been up and down with them so that yeah, it, it has to be a it's good been thing. a long time for both of those guys it's been a long time yeah and, and i think here's the interesting thing they're not the, the biggest stars or maybe the most important guys on the on the limited section of this list but they are definitely the two biggest question marks i think with jeffrey simmons for sure and potentially nicholas petit Frere, I'm more confident that they're going to be playing this weekend. Again, especially Jeffrey Simmons. I, I would be shocked if he does not play this weekend. He's going to play. It sounds like NPF is also trending towards playing. With Hooker and Fulton, they've both been limited or out for the past month or so. It, it's been a rough injury season for both of those guys, and they are huge, huge pieces of the Titans secondary at safety and at cornerback. If they can get those guys back, especially with how much the Titans cornerbacks have been struggling and struggled against the, the Jaguars last time they played them. And with the fact that the Titans no longer have Andrew Adams at safety to be beside Kevin Byard, they need a guy like Amani Hooker to step back in and be that star. Those are two really, really big pieces. I know that the Titans defensive coordinator, Shane Bowen talked today to the media and he spoke about Christian Fulton in particular, like he's a very hard maybe this weekend by no means a certain thing i think that hooker is a much more safe bet to play with fulton he was talking about him not like he's not going to play but like he really truly did not know whether or not fulton would be available and so i think we're just gonna have to continue to wait and and he may be a game time decision for them yeah and then one more guy who popped up uh in the limited participation today who was fully healthy on Tuesday. Small deal. So Traylon Burks with a groin injury today. As for what, how, what the extent of that groin injury is, we don't know yet. It's gonna, we'll have to see later tonight and maybe tomorrow at practice to see what happens. But a lot of 
it, it's kind of a mixed bag right now on Twitter. 50-50 between we'll have to see tomorrow and 50% of people being like, he's never going to be healthy. He's out. This is We're done for the season. But he's died. He's who done. Knows? He's dead. Yeah. No, I mean, it is it is nightmare fuel for the Titans for Burks to, to come on the injury report with the dreaded midweek addition. Um, a, a soft tissue injury with with the groin injury. You know, we don't know. Here's the thing, guys. When you get a limited designation on an injury report, that means there was a minimum of one snap of practice that you missed. So even if Traylon had to sit out for five minutes at practice or missed the very last drill of the day, and it's really not that big a deal, they have to limit him on the on the list they have to designate him as a limited participant so we truly won't know what it's like until they practice tomorrow on thursday yeah and then let's finish off with some good news here jacob points out seeing him added to the injury report again feels like a kick to the groin yeah jacob you're you're right <laughs> on with that one all right sorry jt final good news here on the injury report three guys who are full once again today is first of all Danico autry so he looks almost like he's going to be a Finally, maybe back to 100% healthy this week. Huge, Lock. big yep. uh, upgrade there for the Titans' defensive line. Derrick Henry is also full again, looking like he's going to go. Which, by the also way, Adam Schefter, Adam Schefter reported today uh, that it, it's looking, trending like Derrick Henry is going to go. Which, for all people who uh, weren't on the Titans what? news, duh, right? Like we what all knew that this was going to happen. That's, that's crazy, man. Um, and then finally, defensive back uh, Josh Thompson. It finally seems like he's going to come out of that concussion protocol and be some depth there for that Titans team. All right, let's quickly look at the Jaguars um, injury report as well here. These, to be fair, are, are both, they're both estimated. They have only held walkthroughs this week so far, so they've not actually practiced. But based on estimations from walkthrough, uh, JT, give us the injury report for the Jaguars. Yeah, so we had two guys here who were limited today in, in uh, or actually, no, sorry. There's only two that are bolded that were different, I guess, here that were changes. Trevor Lawrence. Changes today, right. Um, went from not practicing at walkthrough on Tuesday to practicing on Wednesday. He will definitely go. It sounds just like injury management and rest management there for him. Yeah. And then uh, left side safety here, Ross Mastic is, did not practice today. Offensive lineman Brandon Sheriff was limited. And then we had a couple other guys here on the limited. Uh, the biggest two here are Rayshon Jenkins and Trayvon Walker with a shoulder and ankle. Yeah, uh, Jenkins, Walker, and then Andrew Wingard, I'll add to that list at safety. All three of those guys are, are big um, impact players for this Jaguars defense. They've come on pretty strong. From what I hear and understand, it sounds like all of these guys on this list are more likely to play than not um maybe outside of ross mastix i I'm sorry ross i don't know how to say your your name the long <laughs> snapper uh, i don't think that he necessarily is is trending towards playing but all these other players are and so we'll keep an eye on that yeah and let's move over away from this injury report here and talk about a couple of trends here for the titans who are that they'll have to nip in the bud uh here in this final week uh Some uncharacteristic un yes. lack of discipline yeah, we'll start with the Titans' uh, turnover margin. They have committed 10 turnovers since week 14, which is tied second most in the NFL. They're just smack dab in the middle right there between the Denver Broncos, tied with the Buccaneers, and right ahead of the Minnesota Vikings. So not company you want to be with down this stretch of the season right now. No, not at all. It, it's something that they're going to have to, I mean, in this Jaguars game, it's how they lost the first Jaguars game ultimately, right? They, they lost by double digits, but they also lost the turnover battle, I think three to nothing. And so if they don't, if they don't win the turnover battle this weekend, I don't think they really stand a chance. They need to, at the very least draw, um, but a win, a turnover or two that goes in their favor, I think will be key to them getting a, a victory here. And it's something that we saw them actually do on Thursday night against the Cowboys, the defense in a big way. And in particular, Kevin Byard with two interceptions really got the offense, the ball back. Um, and the offense just wasn't able to do much with that. And the Cowboys just outclassed them as we expected them to. But if this defense can do that again um, with this Titans offense, I think that's going to feel more confident with Josh Dobbs under center and have some guys back um, that are that are key to that offense producing in a bigger way, like NPF, like 
Derrick Henry, small addition. Um, that's going to be big, and I think a turnover or two could mean the game. Another part of the Titans' defense here, who which has been struggling, is the secondary. And our friend of the show, James Foster at No Flags Film, put this out earlier this week. This right. year, the Titans rank fourth in EPA allowed to coverage penalties. So they take a lot of penalties there. And that's been a big problem you even saw in that Dallas Cowboys game. They also rank fifth in EPA lost to pre-snap penalties and third in EPA lost to blocking penalties. So all around the board, they got to shape up on the penalty side and be a lot more disciplined this week. Yeah, they, they on turnovers and on penalties, something that Mike Vrabel has prided himself and his squad in, in being among the most disciplined and among the most intelligent uh, in finding ways to avoid these things that, that is just shooting yourself in the foot. It's been a weird year for his team. It's been a weird, undisciplined year. Um, and I think that that's something that that he's going to hammer hard in this upcoming offseason. But for this final game, at the very least, they're going to have to, again, be so much more disciplined on both the penalty and the ball security front if they want to punch their ticket to the playoffs. Yeah, and then how rare a win would be for this Titans team this weekend. It's, it's going to be something that has never been done, as Ed Warder pointed out on uh, Twitter earlier this week, no team in NFL history has gone 0-4 in December and made the playoffs. The Titans finished 0-5 in December with their loss to the Cowboys at the right at the buzzer of 2022. So it's going to be really interesting to see so if they can do a, it. It's not a concern, JT, because he, he said nobody that went 0-4 has made the playoffs. Ah, but he didn't yes. say anything about anybody that went 0-5. So they're they're fine. It's not a big deal. They're going to be fine. They're going to set a new no, but it, it would here. be It would be historic. It would be historic if they were if they were to punch this this ticket, having not won a single game in December. December, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard this, JT. It's the most important month in the calendar for the that NFL. It is. Um, and to go oh over in in December is usually a death sentence for the Titans. It may very well, but it's not quite over for them yet. Yeah, one way that they're maybe going to be able to win this week, it's maybe we finally get. Uh, the Prince Who Was Promised game here for Shigakonkwo, who yeah. earlier today it was reported that Todd Downing might have finally woken up this week and said it was paramount that they are going to try to get the balls to rookie Shigakonkwo and Traylon Burks. But the bigger name of that, of course, is Chig because he's going to go nuclear this week. Hopefully that's what that quote means. Yeah, we're hoping for a big Prince That Was Promised Shigakonkwo game. It's something that that we have been asking for for well over a month now. Just get all I'm asking. Eight to ten targets for Chig in this game. It's all, it's all I want to see. It, it, I don't care what he does with it. Just from a game plan, game plan standpoint, give him eight to ten targets. And I think I'm very confident good things will happen. And on, on the Jaguar side of the ball, it's going to be also a win here would also be pretty rare for a team in this position as well to win this game. Between 1970 yeah. and 2021, just two out of 179 teams, which was only 1.1%, by the way, that started two and six made the playoffs in 2022. There's three out of the five teams still vying for a playoff spot. Started two and six. They could still make the playoffs here. It's the eight and eight Jaguars, the eight and eight Steelers. And the eight and eight Lions. JT, this one's insane. The fact that all three of these teams started two and six, and now all three are back to 500, and all three, not only can all three of them make the playoffs this, this weekend, they all have a chance to get in, but there is a reality in which all three do get in. You could see Detroit, Jacksonville, and uh, who did I miss? Detroit, Jacksonville, and Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh all yep. three be in the playoff picture this year and so and that's 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 insane um, and it just I think it kind of encapsulates how this has been a very weird and wacky NFL season from start to finish yeah and then only three teams in the NFL have made the playoffs after losing six straight games in the same season that'd be the 1970 Cincinnati Bengals the 2014 Carolina Panthers and the 2020 Chicago Bears but with a win this week the 2022 Titans would have a chance to join that list and become the fourth team on there. So it's going to be an uphill battle either way. And Houston also could play a mix in here as it comes to an AFC South trade, or sorry, draft. Right, there's, there's, more, to um, this, there's more to this division here. than just the Titans and the Jaguars. 
yeah, Houston, a win there could cost them the first overall pick and give Chicago a chance to maybe trade out of the number one spot for a team maybe needing a quarterback because, of course, they have Justin Field. And also, if Indianapolis lost, they could get into the top three and in that maybe C.J. Stroud range there for themselves. Right, and so Lovey Smith, according to Aaron Wilson underscore NFL on Twitter, he said that Lovey Smith, head coach of the Texans, made it abundantly clear that they're going to play to win this game against the Colts. I'd imagine that Jeff Saturday is going to be approaching it the same way, but also there's no way that Titans fans should be rooting for anything other than a Texans loss here because, again, the, the Bears, who, by the way, are going to be, this is confirmed, without Justin Fields this weekend. They're going to be rocking Nathan Peterman this weekend, so the odds of them losing are quite high. If the Texans lose this game, it, it means they go to the number two seed and the, the Colts likely go to the number three seed. And so it would be Chicago, Houston, Indianapolis at the top of the draft. That is much better than Houston number one, Chicago number two, and then Indianapolis somewhere in the four, five, six range if they were to win. This would mean that with both the Texans and the Colts clearly and obviously needing a quarterback in this draft and reportedly wanting a quarterback in this draft, they both are going to get one regardless of where they are, or they're, they're going to try. They're going to tr make trades. They're going to evaluate guys down the board, whatever it takes to get their guy. If you put the bears first overall, they're not, I just, I don't see a reality in which they stick there and pick Will Anderson or, or some stud at a position other than QB. They're going to, because of how many teams are going to be wanting Bryce Young or CJ Stroud or potentially even Will Levis, they're going to sell that pick for a, a dragon's horde and, and make <laughs> off like a bandit and get a bunch of picks downstream. So it's going to keep the Texans and the Colts from getting at least one of those top three guys, which is, again, very, very good news for the Titans. Um, and so Titans fans should absolutely be rooting for a Texans win this weekend and a Bears loss. One final thing to round out this new segment here, not having to really do with the Titans, but just kind of something to look out for in the AFC Southwise. Jim Harbaugh is expected to leave Michigan for the NFL if he's offered a job uh, per a bunch of sources um, this weekend. And Easton, you have a little bit of a take here that you want to give uh, on this news. Yeah, so the fact that the Colts head coach position has essentially come down to Jeff Saturday or Jim Harbaugh is unbelievably funny to me. I think it's it's like it, it, it couldn't be a bigger spectrum between two coaching options. And this is not just narrative based on reading Twitter. This is reading sources that cover the Colts for a living and are close to that organization. It sounds like right now, granted early on in the process, it's come down to Saturday or Harbaugh for the next head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. And, and it's, that's just, it's so stupid. It boggles my mind. Like in, in similar news, my long-term financial strategy, I think it's going to either be mutual funds and IRAs, or I'm just going to go buy scratchers at the gas station. I haven't decided <laughs> yet, but that's essentially the choice that the Colts are making right there. Um, and I, I think Titans fans should absolutely, and are absolutely already hoping that they stick with Saturday because he's been a disaster so far. It's been awful. All right, JT, is that everything? Yeah, that's going to be it. All right, so we are wrapping the show up, and it's been a long one today. We appreciate everybody sticking with us, those of you, the, the four or five of you that have listened live. Again, we're going to be doing this more in the future with insiders only. So if you're not an insider over at BroadwaySportsMedia.com, you got to go become one today, and you can get this show, live recordings, F-Words show, live recordings, almost certainly the Mike Herndon show, live recordings, all of that stuff for insiders will be available going forward. And so you got to go spend 99 cents for your first month and sign up. We said we'd do Q&A at the end if anyone had any questions. We answered a number of them along the way. If you're still listening and you have one, feel free to submit it right now at the buzzer. But Jacob Sane, who's been sticking with us all day, Jacob, we appreciate you. He's asked that we, we've heard very little about Tim Kelly this season, apart from the fans on Twitter, of course. Has he had a meaningful impact on this team? And what do you expect to be his role next season? It's a great question, and it's a tough one to answer. You know, I, I have conversations with people in the organization when I'm at the games and talking to other members of the press corps. From what I have gathered, 
they have kept this really under wraps. We know that Tim Kelly has been the passing game coordinator, whatever you want to believe that means. Um, it's been very much a what exactly is it you do here situation for Tim Kelly throughout this season. Um, we don't know exactly what impact he's had on this offense and any impact that he has had, I think reasonably should be assumed not a great one because there's not been a whole lot of great for this offense. Now, granted, the personnel situation has been next level awful, but in terms of this passing game, it's one of the worst in the league and it's been that way all season. So I don't know what impact he's had. That doesn't mean I don't think he's a very serious candidate to potentially be the offensive coordinator next year. If, and when Todd Dowding is let go the way that he should be this off season. But in terms of concrete evidence of what Tim Kelly has done, you know, up in the press box before the games, I've seen him walk into the coach's um, box up there and walk down the hallway past me. And I know he's up there, but I don't know what he's doing. So um, I think that that might be a question we get a little bit more insight into in the off season. But for now, it's a big fat question mark. All right, that's going to be it for today. Before you go, just a few things. Our plan for the rest of the week, we're going to be doing a show as we usually do, that comes out Friday morning. We'll have the Best Bet Gauntlet, uh, our last of the regular season. We will have James Foster back for the James Foster Friday segment. Already talked to him. Excited to get to chat with him. We potentially will have another guest that I have in mind to, to discuss an article this week that I found fascinating. Plenty to talk about just two days from now, so make sure to check us back out then. We also are going to have to ask you, as a New Year's gift to us here at the Hot Read Podcast, Go subscribe to the show if you haven't already. If you're listening to this live via Twitter or, or Facebook on the website, go over to your favorite podcast platform of choice, wherever you get, wherever you get your good podcasts, and make sure to subscribe to the show so that you can listen to the show whenever and whenever we have shows come out. You're going to get those in your inbox delivered to you all nice, neat, and packaged up. We also need you to go, once you've subscribed on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, Go leave a rating and a review. If you give us five-star ratings and leave a review, write whatever you want. We will read it on air. We will shout you out. We love those. We love seeing those. It means a lot to us. I know that every show you've ever listened to has asked you to do that. Make this the first show you've ever done it for. That would be very kind to us, a small, growing, burgeoning show. It means a ton for us to be able to sell the show, and it's very important, and it takes you 10 seconds, and it also can get you a free follow on Instagram or Twitter or wherever if you leave your handle. We will shout you out and tell all of our hundreds of listeners to go and follow you. And so we uh, appreciate you doing that in advance. Hopefully by our next show, we've got a couple of reviews to read on the, on the air. Um, and that's, that's going to be it for today. We've done an hour and 15 minutes, but we appreciate you guys sticking around. We appreciate those of you that listen live. This is going to be a thing in the future if you're a Broadway insider. So go become that. Until then, until Friday morning, I am your host, Houston Freeze, for producer JT. This has been the Hot Read Podcast. Have a great couple of days. We'll talk to you on Friday.